and welcome to series four of The Confidence Fighter. I'm Mercer and on this podcast I'm here to help you find and grow your inner confidence. But before we get on with this episode I would really appreciate it if you subscribed. Okay without further ado let's get on with this episode. Hello and today I'm delighted to welcome Emma as my special guest on The Confidence Fighter. Emma, can you tell me a bit about yourself and your story? Well, um, Myrtle, hi and thank you so much for having me. Um, It's pretty exciting to be talking to you. Um, Gosh, so my story, well, um, my name is Emma (laughs) and I sort of grew up with my lovely family in the sort of northwest of England and I went to Edinburgh University where I studied medicine and uh, to be a doctor and I really loved my time at Edinburgh. Uh, For me, medical school, university life, I just loved it. Uh, And then after I left university, I worked as a house officer, a type of junior doctor up in Edinburgh. And then after a year, I moved down to London to continue my junior doctor training. Lots of highlights and stories along the way. I met my husband, Tom. We're in London. We've got four boys. I now work as a um, consultant dermatologist. That's a skin specialist at Guy's and St. Thomas's Hospital or the Evelina in London. Um, and there's a special institute at um, Guy's and St. Thomas's called the St. John's Institute of Dermatology, which is the, kind of like the UK um national center for dermatology so it's a really really big unit where i work and i subspecialize so my super specialist interest is is apart from dermatology is actually uh dermatology in children and teenagers so pediatric and adolescence is a long name for all of that and i'm basically very passionate about improving healthcare for all teenagers um and also i'm very involved with supporting and kind of trying to really um advocate for those people living with a visible difference so that's people living uh with anything that affects their appearance so that comes from you know from whether that being from a skin condition if you're born with a birthmark all sorts of things um if you're living with a visible difference and often um uh, the going can get tough sometimes so i'm very involved with a charity called changing faces that's trying to support and develop services to support Uh, anyone really living with visible difference. Can you tell us what made you want to go into medicine? I I think in my case it was always something that I was sort of placed on my heart from a pretty early on. I absolutely love people uh, and I really did have a a desire to help and care for people. That's always been my main driver I think really. Um, I do think that it's been a real and is a, a, a real privilege uh, being alongside anyone who's um, um, well or sick and ill health can just affect anyone and so you meet such a broad and wonderful mix of people um, and I absolutely love that um, and then there's always the possibility and amazing hope that you or your team may be able to cure or at least alleviate some of what's uh, suffering that they get from ill health um, And of course, I was always fascinated by human biology, physiology, and what happens when things go wrong. Uh, And I obviously grew up watching a a good diet of medical dramas. And I think I grew up watching something called ER, which I guess is the sort of Grey's Anatomy equivalent of when I was growing up. And it was um, something that, you know, obviously didn't have entirely parallels with the real world of medicine. But there were definitely lots of chimes with, with what happens in the real world. And 
I just was fascinated with being involved with that world from pretty pretty early on really. Can you tell us a bit about your journey as a junior doctor? A junior doctor? Well, um, I think Adam Kay has definitely brought to life for everyone uh, some of the adventures uh, and extraordinary lived experience of being a junior doctor. Um, But for my journey, um, for me, I did my first house jobs in Edinburgh, and that year was a real baptism of fire. It's where we learned for the first time to be the first responders to people who were really sick and to those who were dying and also to some people who had died. And, and even though you've done all and been through um, the process in training and been alongside people, there's no real substitute for that first moment that you're the first person to be there in those circumstances. That was a kind of a real baptism of fire. We also really discovered the reality of what it's like to be missing out on um, on Christmas or, or weekends with a family and all those kind of things for the first time. And uh, and I'm feeling really exhausted when you've been on call for like long periods of time. Um, but also um, what it's like to be part of a, a team where you sort of perk each other up with a bit of a coffee. Um, and right from the get go, there's an, there is amazing um, camaraderie on a feeling of being a team. Uh, and then you discover the joy of sort of what it's like to have a day off or to run around call. And we did bonkers things like filming and recreating the scene in the hospital of ER. But like, it, you know, kind of we did all sorts of fun stuff as well. Um, and it really is a steep learning curve. But, um, you know, you made the most of um, your time when you were off and you, you escaped and did fun stuff as well. And you basically laughed a lot, slept very little um but uh we had a we had a fun time together and you were kind of on a journey with friends and that was that was what kind of kept you going and then after that I moved to London where I continued my time as a junior house officer and then you become a little bit more senior and become a registrar I met more friends when I moved to London um and we shared more extraordinary experiences we did things like you know on the rugby world cup final day we were all on call in the hospital in the doctor's mess and you're desperately hoping that your bleep won't go off so you can watch the end of the match um and and then actually some really tough moments and uh, extraordinary moments so that I was around um when um seven seven happened um uh, which um i I guess now is actually long enough ago that um it's not necessarily in the um sort of the mindset of 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 when you're now sort of 12 to 15 but there was an extraordinary um, series of explosions in London around the 7th of July Um, and when I was um, working as a senior house officer in the intensive care unit at University College Hospital London and that was pretty extraordinary actually being involved with that but uh, so it made a huge impression Um, it was pretty a pretty extraordinary time Um, but as with all these kind of moments over the years where I have been involved in sort of big incident responses um, it's kind of brings out the absolute best in people as well. So, um, and it's a sort of extraordinary privilege really working with a team in those circumstances because everyone just gives, you know, sort of 200% all of the time and you sort of get energy that you didn't even know was there. It just sort of comes an adrenaline and sort of rush and you can just keep going. So overall, looking back, there's been lots of highs and some lows, but actually the variety of sort of human experience and the privilege of being in those moments and, yeah it is it is it is it is extraordinary sometimes 
and you, you sometimes forget how extraordinary it is and then you sort of realize looking back that not everyone's had that sort of privilege as well so yeah what's the hardest thing about being a doctor I think it's probably learning um to process your sort of emotional response to really sometimes really awful situations in a way that doesn't affect your life outside of medicine um because you do have um a really intense run of very um sort of tough conversations um you do witness and you're alongside quite a lot of trauma and they're and I think when you're dealing with that volume of trauma and intensely emotional kind of conversations with, you know, families and patients and stuff, then it sometimes can, you know, you've got to be really careful to have ways that it doesn't, you know, always spill over into into life outside. Um, and then sometimes you, you can feel a bit, find it tough to sort of be able to reconcile all the stuff that you're seeing and doing and you know people who've got real worries and real concerns with um being alongside you know friends and family who are worrying about kind of quite it feels like quite minor things um but you have to learn a way of actually splitting the two because actually you know it's really important that those worries although they may feel small um compared to some other stuff actually for the people that you love and care about, that's really important. So you've got to be able to sort of flex, you know, the, the, the perspective between the two. But it certainly gives you a real perspective on, on, on what's important, that's for sure. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about COVID? I think there were moments of real fear, I think, especially at the beginning, I think being uncertain of what lay ahead. I think like right back in March, I was redeployed as well then to COVID and I... At that time, you know, I think, I mean, do you remember back to that time? You know, we didn't really know what it meant, did we? We didn't understand. We thought, oh, gosh, you know, I think, you know, we we were, I was very worried that I was going to bring something back to my family. I used to decontaminate on the other side of the house every time I came back from work. I came in one through one door and there was a separate bathroom and stuff. I used to make sure I got everything and didn't touch anything. And then it went straight in the wash. And, you know, it was kind of, even though I'd already changed, we had to wear sort of full scrubs and and PPE at work. It was kind of, but as a family, we very much chatted through with our boys and with Tom, my husband, and it always felt a very peaceful decision about me to work full time because uh, during that period, because we always felt a real sense that my skill set was for such a moment as that and that that was you know my moment that I needed to step up and that was that was sort of my I, I never really questioned it I always think of Nelson Mandela has an amazing series of words that he uses to describe fear and he always says that courage is not the absence of fear but the triumph over it and so I think it's totally normal sometimes to be afraid and that's okay but um he also says that you know if you it's conquering that fear um that um is is the real is the real challenge and if you if you do that um then you know you know great things can happen so i just think you know it's okay to feel afraid sometimes um but actually you know courage is 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 managing to overcome that what advice would you give to your 13 year old self if you could go back in time just don't waste any time comparing yourself to others I love that we're all so diverse. I love that we have an amazing array of different skills and, and gifts. And I just think that actually focusing on those and not comparing yourself to others along the way. And I think there's, I, I'm sure that 
some of your listeners may have seen that Charlie Mackesy has this amazing book, The Boy, the Fox and the Mole. And I think one of the little one of the phrases that always sticks to my mind from that little book is, is, is the mole saying, what do you think the biggest waste of time is? And that he says, comparing yourself to others. And I do I do think that's so true. And the other thing I always think is, and I, because I work with a lot of people who have visible difference and scars and birthmarks that affect their appearance, and sometimes that can be really tough going. I'd, I'd known from a young age about the amazing uh, Japanese art of kintsuki, which I think is just a, an amazing metaphor for accepting ourselves of, of who we are for all the scars and the hurt and the things that go wrong. That actually, in, in kintsugi, do you, do you know about this, Myrtle? They, they have like... Um, a way of repairing broken pottery with this amazing gold paint and glue. Um, and they really believe that the finished object, when they've repaired it with this gold um, paint, is more beautiful than the original sort of, um, you know, intact pot. And so actually the fact that actually it's all the little cracks and faults and you know kind of I guess scars are actually you know really part of of the beauty of who we are and I think that's quite a good metaphor for life that you know if things go wrong or there's bits of us that are a bit broken or we have a visible difference or you know actually that the the who we are as we grow up is really beautiful with all those things not despite them. What's the biggest risk you've ever taken? medicine is all about managing and taking risks um because basically it's an everyday reality in medicine that you're always um having to take risks um hopefully they're very carefully considered risks um but essentially risks are they're sort of essential to um give any chance of cure or recovery um you know if we have very poorly patients, they might get really better or sadly they might not survive. But if we were only ever to offer supportive, low-risk treatments, uh, then although it may be perceived that we've done no harm, in fact, we might have missed an opportunity to really cure or significantly improve someone's quality of life. And I think many people imagine in medicine that this risk is is reserved only for surgeons. And I actually do do um, some skin surgery, but um, it also affects every decision we make in medicine to some extent. In my specialty, I manage severe inflammatory skin disease. And um, some of the medications that we use in that are, are quite um, significant and they have significant uh, side effects. And I also ran a service um, that looks after managing um, children and young people with rare um complex birthmarks and so often they've got lots of extra blood vessels and or um you know and they can be in sites that really matter to you know sustaining life so they could be in your airway or they could be and a lot of the treatments for that um involve sort of weighing up whether we uh, whether we give a treatment that has a side effect that might have really huge risks so someone could die while having the treatment or they give you, you give a medicine that might give a side effect where someone might get a life-threatening infection and not make it or but doing nothing is also associated with significant harm so a lot of what we do is helping and supporting families and young people sort of navigate weighing up all those different risks um and it's a real privilege working alongside families because they're huge decisions and when you're sort of leading a team making those decisions you're aware that that's a real responsibility but I guess navigating that is 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 one of the things that you know we do as every part of life so risk taking is a really big 
part of my life but hopefully for good not not always for not always for bad yes thank you so much for talking to me today that's okay Myrtle thank you so much for having me thank you so much for listening if you've enjoyed this episode of the confidence fighter and you're using apple Podcasts, i would really appreciate a rating and review because this means other young girls can find this podcast more easily don't forget to subscribe see you next time